0: We've traveled together for years, but at last, we're approaching our destination. Relativity, the final episodes. Beginning July 20th, 2020, wherever you get your podcasts. Discussing Network. work. everyone and welcome to the Discussing Trek Podcast. I'm your host as always, Clarence Brown. And today is going to be a little bit different. Today, we're actually not going to review an episode or talk about Trek specifically, but we're going to get around there around the way. And we're going to talk to Lee Shackelford of the Relativity Podcast. And when I say talk to him, it's not going to be me. We're actually going to throw to an episode of the Reality Breach Podcast. We're a good friend of the show, Sergio Lugo. Actually interviewed Lee all about the relativity podcast. This show that I've been lucky to be a part of is, is very, very dear to my heart. And I hope you guys love it too. If you haven't listened to it, you should check it out on any podcasting platform, whether it's iTunes or Spotify. Or whatever, it's everywhere, but you definitely need to check it out. It's the Relativity Podcast, and the Relativity Podcast, or Relativity, is a science fiction serial about a man marooned in space and a woman on Earth who struggles to keep him alive. And that's the core of the show, but it really goes to some great places. And I just want you guys to tune in and, and stay tuned for this this interview where friend of the show, Sergio Lugo, goes in depth about Relativity and who is Lee Shackerford and what he's done. So definitely stay tuned. Uh, a really enjoyable listen. And this is all you hear from me. So until next time, guys, live long and prosper. And we'll kick right to Sergio in his interview with Lee Shackford on the Reality Breached podcast.
1: Hello, welcome to a brand new episode. Well, I guess this is an episode, a special edition episode Thing interview with uh, somewhat friend of the show. A lot there's a lot of our, our Venn diagrams are, are pretty close together. Lee Shackleford. He is responsible for uh, several things. The, the 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 thing that is most closely uh, related to reality breached, I guess, would be discussing who and discussing comics. Sounds like it. Yeah. 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 Uh, but more importantly, he's here because uh, and and correct me if I get this wrong. Creator and writer and actor on the science fiction serialized podcast relativity. Perfect. Perfect. Got you it. Got right? it. Awesome. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I sometimes also say chief cook and bottle washer, but yeah.
1: Hey, that that sounds better. Let's re-record that again. Yes. I'm gonna say <laughs> I'm gonna steal that line. No. Uh yes, yes. You're the the, the basically the chief involved uh the, the chief of, of relativity, which mm-hmm. is is a podcast that I've been listening to since I don't want to say day one, but it was definitely season one. Cool. That, I, ju- I jumped in. That still takes
2: you way back. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I jumped in as soon as someone said, "Hey, Lee's doing this thing," and I was like, "Let me check it out." And oh. to be honest, I've I had never really listened to a, a an old school like serial. Uh, hmm. it definitely not went in podcast form and so so this was like my gateway into that world interesting um but 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 before we start really t- talking about relativity and me just talking about how much I like it let the, I want to get to know Lee hmm. uh, i this isn't your first rodeo when it comes to 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 acting and and and, and that kind of stuff w- what got you into this world into podcasting or radio drama well it's it's the thing is it's kind of it's kind of a trifecta it's podcasting it's acting and it's it's just science fiction writing
2: that's right yeah and um yeah my um my master's degree is in acting and directing i mean i've been a theater person since high school and uh um i guess set out with the career goals of being a being an actor and um one of the things I learned in graduate school is that I probably don't have any business trying to be a career actor. <laughs> um, I, uh, for, for a variety of reasons, but a lot of it has to do just with face and body. There are, there are types that are really desirable in the business. And I'm just not one of those types. And I, you know, obviously in, in plays and movies and TV shows, there is a variety of people but for the most part, you know, there is a kind of a, there is a look.
1: <laughs> That's um, true. That's true.
2: The, um, it's kind of funny when you, when you meet, you may have had this experience at convention search where you, you meet somebody that, um, you know, you've seen on TV and you're meeting them in person and you're kind of struck by how big their head is and how <laughs> little their body is, you know, it, it's, it's just a little thing, but you're kind of like Whoa. <laughs> you know? And, and that's part of the thing, especially for television is that that's really, that's the look that casting agents go after. They really want people who, who have heads that are slightly disproportionately large for their bodies. Wow. <laughs> anyway, yeah. <laughs> it, in my own mind, I now call that Funko pop casting, but, um, it, it, but I, I'm not one of those people, you know, <laughs> my, and, um, but just for a number of reasons, you know, I, I, I was just I was being told flat out in my graduate degree, you know, that this is not the life for you. And I had really gotten I, I've been writing plays since I was in the third grade. I wrote a play that we did in my elementary school, you know. So um, I, there's just ne- I, I really can barely remember a time when I haven't been writing scripts. And
1: um, OK, so so, 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 so that skill is just kind of baked in.
2: Yeah. And I really, I'd like to tell you where that comes from. And the only theory I've got is that I, uh, my dad was, um, a community theater actor. And, um, so one of my very, uh, a lot of my earliest memories are of being in rehearsal of sitting in the, uh, the empty theater while he was up on stage rehearsing something. And at home, you know, he would always have the scripts lying around. And I think that I looked at those and I, I got very interested in the idea that you could write something like this and then other people would come to it and bring it to life, which seemed to me like magic, which it is. And, <laughs> and I, I think that I must have really imprinted on that from, you know, just as soon as I could read. um. So I, there's never been a time when I haven't been, been writing scripts. And so, you know, so, so I left graduate school with, with a master's degree in acting and directing and decided to be a playwright. So, <laughs> uh, which is what you do with your, but well, and of course the skills are transferable. I mean, it's, it's not like I, uh, I was a, a complete waste of time or anything, but um, uh, one of the things that I did while I was in graduate school is I wrote a, uh, a Sherlock Holmes play called Holmes and Watson. And um, th- this is how the Zen nature of these things. So I wrote this play and was sending it out to people and I gave up on being an actor. And then the next thing that happened was that a producer picked that play up knowing that I had written it for myself in the first place. And so then I'm off Broadway playing Sherlock Holmes in my own play (laughs) Uh, after I had said I'm never going to be an actor. So there I am in New York anyway. um, Oh, well, that's
1: that's, usually when you're if you're a writer, eventually you're going to end up in your own stuff that just that, that. It's happened too many times. (laughs) It does seem that way, doesn't it? Yeah. Even if it's not a, even (laughs) Mm -hmm. if you're not starring in it, you're going to be in there somewhere. Somewhere. But yeah, this is kind of a thing now,
2: um, to, to write the, the vanity project, we call it the, the, the show that's going to star you. So you've got that script, you know, kind of in your back pocket and, uh, if nothing else, you can always do that show. And I was, I was really counseled as an actor to write that show. But so what I wrote was a Sherlock Holmes, um, story and the script of course has, it has been a lot more important to to other people than my, my acting. So that's uh that was, that was good. That was good advice. Um, there's a, a group in, uh, Minnesota that's talking about doing the show right now. And, uh, so I just love it. I mean, that was, that was 30 years ago and people are still, you know, they're doing that script. So. Uh, and, uh, I, am finally getting to be too old to do it myself. So, well, I say that <laughs> William Gillette played Sherlock Holmes until he was, I don't know, 82 years old or something like that. But the the first actor to play Holmes on the stage. Well, in
1: that case, you're just now aging into it.
2: Exactly. I, I'm, I'm getting started on my William Gillette career, but, uh, <laughs> really since then I've been making a career teaching, um, script writing and, um. Uh, and and being a commissioned artist to write scripts and things like that. Um, uh, when I came back from New York uh, after Holmes and Watson, there were messages under my answering machine, and one of them was from my agent asking me if I would like to go into pitch for Star Trek: The Next Generation
1: if I would like to go pitch for Star Trek. <laughs> <Generation>. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's this thing, you know, just in yeah. case, I don't know. You may have heard of it. I said, you may have heard of it.
2: Yeah. Um, <laughs> you mean that show I've been begging you to get me a shot at?
1: Yeah. <laughs>
2: um, that's so like, I, that's
1: really exciting.
2: Yes. I was beside myself. I was just, yeah, I, I could not believe it. And, uh, what, what followed from there was uh, first a trip to Paramount and then a bunch of phone calls, a bunch of long phone meetings with the, uh, the, the writing team on the mm-hmm. show. And um, sort of by the time that sort of faded away, um, Brandon Braga told me that I had pitched more stories than any other freelance writer that they had uh, brought in on the show. And, and I I can believe it. I've still got my notes. I mean, when you, when you do a pitch meeting like this, I don't know if you know, if, if you're brought into a show, they'll give you an hour. And so it's basically, okay, this is so-and-so, you know, um, uh, he or she, they're, they're an aspiring writer and, uh, we think they've probably got some great ideas. Uh, okay, go. And you, you start describing a story and, um, and they will probably say, yeah, no, that's not our show. That's not the kind of thing we do. Now what else you got? So you better have something else.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. You have to to show up loaded with, with, ideas. Exactly. Otherwise it ends up being a short meeting.
2: Right. Yeah. And that is the last thing you want. So yeah, you, you have to come in kind of with a whole season of their show (laughs) in your head and the skill I never got good at. And, uh, I try to teach to my students now, which is silly because I don't know how to do it, but, um, one of the things that I've seen happen in, in the writer's room like that is that a pr- producer and writing staff, they'll say, uh, OK, uh, give us your idea. And you start to tell the idea and they'll interrupt and say, I really like that. But what if and they'll throw a curve into it
1: mm-hmm. because so, so you're almost forced to write on the fly.
2: You are absolutely forced to write on the fly because, for example, they they may have uh, an agenda of bringing a, another character who's kind of been in the background and in this next seat, this upcoming season, they want to bring that character more
1: out to the fore. So and of course they didn't tell you in advance because right. they don't want to give anything <laughs> away.
2: That's yeah. right. They, they don't want you spreading that in social media. So, um, yeah. Um, so yeah. So they'll say, okay, but what if it wasn't that person? What if it was this person? Well, you haven't envisioned that at all, but what you say is, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, Now you rewrite the whole story so that it makes sense for that character mentally and you continue your story and they may do this, you know, 10 times while you're talking. Yeah, I like that. But what if instead of this, what if that happens and you say – Yes. And
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's, like it's, it, it, it sounds like anyone trying to get into this, that, that realm should take a few improv improv classes. Cause this I, just sounds like yes. ending.
2: that is yes. ending. it absolutely is. And it's, it's not something that we really studied in my graduate degree. And I have thought exactly what you said so many times. <laughs> Why, if I had, if that was, had been a special skill of mine, you know, um, but uh, I'll tell you, because I, I know you know Star Trek The Next Generation, I'll tell you the, the shortest pitch that I did.
1: Okay.
2: I always loved it. I wish that I had videoed this in the room because I would just love to show this to people. I did a pitch that was one word. Uh, they said, you know, I, I pitched, I threw out several ideas, and then they said, okay, what else you got? And I said, oh, here's an idea. Lore. And they said, no. <laughs> I said, no.
1: They, they didn't okay. want to do anything with lore.
2: <laughs> no. At that point, this is right after they had scattered his atoms all over the universe. And and for one thing, I had an idea about how to put him back together and, and what was going to happen in the story. But they said, no, the reason why we do why we kill that character is because we're, we're, we're fed up with him. So. Um, so what else you got? Th- there went my lore story. Oh, the, the the story that I ended up having the most to do with, and my name isn't on it, which, of course, breaks my heart, but uh, was, um, of course, a Sherlock Holmes story. Um, uh, one of the reasons that I was excited about pitching the season that I did was because they had just done um, um, Elementary, My Dear Data, mm-hmm. with Data playing Sherlock Holmes in the holodeck. I remember so, that one. So here I come from off-Broadway having just played Sherlock Holmes and being a, 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 a an amateur Sherlockian scholar and uh, somebody very enthused about those stories. So I pitched a story about um, Moriarty getting out of the holodeck and figuring out how to take over the ship from there. And, uh, and they said, hmm, <laughs> interesting. So, and that episode will eventually become uh, what's called Ship in a Bottle. That wasn't my title. And um, it, um, so they, they bought that story, but it, this is sort of what happens is that every writer's hand who gets on it, they change it. And, um, I may, I, I have to say in the case of ship in a bottle, they improve it until it gets stronger and stronger and more like their show and less like whatever idea you came up with. And, uh, Rene Achevarria, who was the story editor that season, um, what he, uh, ends up with is, is so much his script that of course his name is the one that's on it. But, um, you know, so about all the, I can do the is say seed
1: of it was yours.
2: Yeah. And, um, you know, there are, there are a couple of little things in it that survived all the way through to the final, uh, script, which, but it's not enough to justify my name being on it, but I still have the satisfaction of watching that episode and hearing <laughs> Sir Patrick Stewart say things. And I go, <clears throat> I wrote that. Damn. <laughs> you
1: know, that's, that's, uh, that's, you know, I don't not know. Mi- not many people can say that. No, so. no. But uh, cool.
2: the screen credit would have been nice, too. But
1: <laughs> there you go. So, so, so obviously, uh, science fiction is kind of in your blood.
2: Oh, it always has been. I have been fascinated. Well, uh, I mean, here, here's my other Star Trek story is that my mom uh, sat me on her lap on September 8th, 1966, and, uh, said, uh, we're going to watch this, this TV show. <laughs> and it was the first aired episode of star Trek, um, which is, wow. a, which is a scary story. And, you know, I was five and it scared the pee out of me, but, um, but still I was hooked. Yeah, so I have yeah. seen, I have seen all of the star Trek that there ever has been starting from the first time there was one. <laughs> and, um, Oh, yes.
1: There's so much too. There's so much Star
2: Trek. Now there's so much. Yeah. I, 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 I exaggerate because I actually don't think I have seen all of Voyager. I really gave up
1: on enterprise. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I liked Voyager. I never even yeah. started enterprise. I, I, I like, I just really wanted enterprise to be like a, like a quantum leap spinoff. <laughs> <laughs> Scott Bakula joke. Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, I, I, but I will say, you know, there's a lot of things to, to hate about Enterprise. But uh, my my bestest uh, guy friend, uh, David Duncan, uh, is a, a storyboard artist and a pre-visual artist and, you know, um, a, a thousand other amazing gifts. He he got to be one of the designers on that. So he was drawing, you know, starships and so on for a living. And, uh, and which means that he got to chuckle while he was at work because he could remember a, a teacher telling him at some point where he was sitting in class drawing, you know, the enterprise or whatever saying, Mr. Duncan, you know, bring that up here. You know, you, you'll never grow up to be drawing the starship enterprise for a living. So get up here. Now. Yeah, <laughs> I am in fact drawing the starship. So up yours lady.
1: <laughs> you just try to find her in the phone book. and say, <laughs> exactly.
2: ah. Ah, ah. I know you're dead, but still, ha <laughs> ha. Um, and, but, and since that, since then he has done designs in the Marvel Universe and he worked on uh, Spider-Man homecoming among other things and uh, Iron Man and oh so many things and then he the project that he has not been allowed to talk about for the last year is uh, now he can talk about it because it was the Mandalorian and he was under um, non-disclosure agreements about it and uh, he, he's just been bursting at the seams to, to talk about it. Oh I can imagine So
1: Mandalorian's good.
2: It's and so much of it, I, I promise you. So much of what you're loving about it is is some of David's work. So it's anyway. He's he's just tremendous, tremendously talented person. But yeah, imagine for 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 guys like us, if I may say, <laughs> to be in in kind of a, a geek orientation. He has worked for Star Trek. He has worked for in the Marvel universe, and then he got to work in the Star Wars universe. I, I said you you should just lie down and die
1: now because. If, if, what else is he going to work on? Yeah. at that yeah. point,
2: what? Just literally, what? Are, what other <laughs> worlds are there left to conquer? You want to go over to Warner Brothers and, and do a, you know, Justice League or whatever? No. So, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: uh, well, how did you? Let, let's 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 switch gears a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I didn't uh, even talk about audio drama and all of that, did I? But yeah, but, actually, no. I was going to say, how did you get into podcasting?
2: Okay. Well. Uh, and that does relate to radio drama because, um, yeah. one of the things I'm talking about, my parents giving me the gift of star Trek, uh, from 1966 on, they're also uh, depression era folks. And so they grew up with a deep and rich appreciation of radio drama and comedy from radio's golden age and bless them. They always looked for opportunities to, to get their hands on recordings of those shows. Dad was kind of an audiophile. So we always had, you know, reel to reel machines and uh, hi-fi and things like that around the house. And so I was unique in baby boomers. I'm of I'm the very last year of the baby boom. Mm-hmm. Um, permission to say, OK, boomer then.
1: <laughs> OK, boomer.
2: Uh, but <laughs> but uh, I think I am one of the OK boomers. So. <laughs> But, but so I, I'm at the very tail end of that that time period, which means it's a little odd that I grew up listening to uh, uh, Jack Benny and Fibber McGee and Molly and The Shadow and things like that uh, when those shows were off the air, B- yeah. because tele- television had had uh, really squashed uh, radio for drama and comedy like that, and. Uh, I was just, it's another one of those things that I was just entranced with from the very beginning that um, TV saturates our world so completely. But the idea that you can get a, a rich narrative experience just from hearing a story being acted out, hearing it as if it was as if you were eavesdropping on an event, on an event. Uh, and that most of what happens, what the characters look like with the landscapes that they're involved in, what, what everything looks like in their world is happening in your imagination. Um, a, a radio comedian, Fred Allen used to say that the main difference between radio and TV to his way of thinking was that on radio, the pictures were better.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and and that, it, that's it, actually a great way to put it because it
2: really is. And, like, and I think. I mean, well, like, I mean, you know, my show, I mean, it's, it's an adventure in outer space. And, and, and one of the landscapes that, that, that it exists in is a colossal spaceship. Well, I don't have to build that. All I, all I had, all I need is some ambient sounds of, of, uh, you know, the air vents running and in an engine rumbling far off in the distance. And we have characters saying, well, I'm on a giant spaceship done.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and that's actually one of the points I was going to bring up about relativity is that By, by it being an audio only production, it's, it actually exponentially increases the, like the scale and the scope that you can, that you can reach for.
2: Yeah, that's right. There's literally nowhere you can't go. Audio drama. Exactly. Uh, And, and so it is, it's like, it's like creating a world in, uh, in animation where the same thing is true. You just don't have to draw anything. Um, and, and, And I adore getting fan art. That's one of the best things about doing this is is people drawing, you know, what they think these characters look like. And of course, everybody's view is different. Um,
1: Oh, that I was actually going to say that as well. I I was going to talk about that as well. We'll talk about that in a a minute. Once we get to the show, because I I have in my mind what the characters look like. And I was going to see what, Uh, if, if they are anywhere near what they are in your mind, but continue. Yeah.
2: But, um, but yeah, so, so dream come true for me is that uh, when I was, um, Oh golly, when was this? Ten, ten years ago, um, I was approached by the um, the School of Public Health at my alma mater, the uh, University of Alabama at Birmingham, which is you know basically a medical school uh, <laughs> that that has grown into a liberal arts college over the last uh, 30, 40 years. And um, the the uh, the School of Public Health there were several people who wanted to do an outreach to the community. Birmingham, you may know, is a very, um, um, balanced city in terms of its black and white population. Yes, it is. And there's huge health disparities between the, the white population, and the black population, uh, the African American people in Birmingham have a host of health problems that what, that the white folks just do not have. And, um, a lot of it is about awareness, just about knowing what, what's going on. Um, and so School of Public Health was saying, are there ways that we can kind of get the word out about, about these things? And and um, my, my dear friend, uh, uh, Dr. Connie Kohler, she had <laughs> the, this mad idea that we should do a radio drama that would be a long narrative about a family, uh, a black family in well, – we never said where they were, but it was pretty transparently in Birmingham um, – who – uh, some people in the family have really good health practices and are really well informed about things. And then there are other people in the family who are very skeptical about all this stuff. And as the story would go on, we would see that the people who who didn't want to do the, the good health practices are going to develop these these health problems. And then some of the people who have these health problems, as they uh, eat right and exercise and become better informed, their health quality is going to improve. Um, and so, you know, obviously, that's not something you have to be. You, you don't have to be African-American in the Deep South for that, to, <laughs> for those things to be true, you know? So right. it would, it would have a wider audience as well. Um, but I was just, uh, flabbergasted to learn the kind of the, um, the real medicine about this. a, uh, 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 a, a black man born in the same city as me on the same day has got something like double the risk of heart attack and stroke than I do. And there wow. are, uh, I have always loved the teaching that we're all the same on the inside and, and still philosophically, that's still a lovely way to say that, but there's also some important ways in which we're not the same on the inside and it's a, it's a tragedy. Yeah. Um, so, so that's sort of what that's about. But, um, but the show was called body love and I was the, um, I was the head writer of that for four years in syndication. Um, we wrote and produced everything in Birmingham with some ex- outstanding, outstanding um, performers um, and just a great team. And uh, the show is still out there. Body Love is the name of a beauty salon where some of the women in the show uh, uh, hang out to, to meet and talk and compare notes about life, the universe and everything. But, yeah, and uh, of all things, the last time I heard about anybody playing episodes of the show, it was in the Caribbean. So there are stations like in Jamaica somewhere every now and then they'll stop the music to play an episode of body love, but <laughs> wow. But that was so uh, exciting to me because uh, that I'd grown up listening to uh, radio drama and always wished that I had been born, you know, 20 years earlier, 30 years earlier, so I could have done that. And then here was the opportunity to actually do it. And I, we, we made every mistake you can make in creating radio drama. Uh, uh, but by the time we got to the end of the series, I felt like we all really knew what we were doing. So I came away from that saying, I don't have the kind of money that they, you know, we had to put this radio show together. And so if I created a a show of my own like that, how would I, um, how would I do it? I I don't have the resources and I don't have the distribution system. There, there wouldn't, you know, I'm not going to get radio stations to play my science fiction radio drama serial that I have in mind, you know? Mm. And of course this is about the time that podcasting is really becoming a thing. And, uh, So
1: that dropped out. There there is your uh, there's your delivery mechanism. Exactly.
2: So I I, with total naivete, um, wrote the first 10 episodes of Relativity and um, with the idea that it would basically be a show that my dear friend, uh, former student, uh, Elena Jordan and I would do. And it would just be basically this long phone call between this guy and this this woman. And uh, it would just be the two of us. Um, and you've heard those first 10 episodes, you know, that that's pretty much what it is.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, And I quickly saw the need to expand that, to try to get some more voices in it. And, uh, now it's gotten to be a a pretty complex cast of characters, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but still at the core of it, of course, is Chris and Sophia. But I, I, again, made so many mistakes, um, Here's a great one. Um, if you're going to start a podcast, call it something that can actually be searched for through Google. <laughs> call it – I don't know. Here's a, here's a random example. Call it reality breached because that isn't going to take you down a pointless rabbit hole of other things, right? That, that's that, true. That's true. That, my that's my face usually answer. shows up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> If you search the word relativity, it may take you a while to get to my podcast. So the, so that was dumb. But I, you know, I didn't, I wasn't thinking that way. And I had no thought about how to get the word out about to people, how to let people even know it existed. I just put it on iTunes and said, there.
1: <laughs> here, world, here is yes. my story.
2: And expected people to suddenly come sniffing around and find it, you know. And, uh, well, it's so, obvious
1: some people I, have found
2: it. Well, it, uh, it is slowly, 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 just, just word of mouth. Just people saying, Hey, have you heard this? You know? Um,
1: yeah. and then I
2: started it's, it's, meeting some people who really know how to do this. And that's mm-hmm. real. I mean, just this last year, our, our, downloads, our, our subscribers have doubled just in the last year. Oh, good. And, uh, a lot of that is because I started learning how you
1: do this. <laughs> <laughs> you, you found yourself in the right circles. Exactly is, is what it sounds like. Right, right. Because, 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 from what I understand, there's like a like a like a weird internet underbelly of of uh, scripted shows like this that are just kind of popping up all over the place. And it's it's it's
2: almost a glut. I mean, people who are fans of these kinds of shows complain now that there's no way you can listen to them all, and you're not supposed to. That, that, well, right, uh,
0: yeah. yeah, yeah it's, I like,
1: guess so. kind of like kind of like what's it called? Uh, prestige television. Like, that's right there's more prestige television shows on that you can even digest now because of all the different streaming platforms, pick the six you want to watch and go. Yeah. Yeah. I pretty much got it down
2: to the doctor who and the Mandalorian and I don't watch anything else. <laughs> 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 I don't have time. I got my headphones on all the rest of the time. So yeah. Yeah. But no, I really did. This, this is how fatuous I was at, at the time. I thought I was going to be uh, breaking some kind of, uh, a barrier, you know, the people are going to say, hey, this this guy's doing audio drama, science fiction, audio drama. Woo. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got in line behind about one hundred and fifty other people who are doing it.
1: Uh, <laughs> well, so. you're doing it really well. You're doing it really well. Uh, and and that is my official transition to let's talk about relativity. Yeah, because that's why we're here. <laughs> uh, I got turned on to the show through uh, Kyle on uh, Discussing Who. He shared something on Facebook and your name was attached to it. And I was like, hey, hmm. let me check that out. And it really helped that like the first episode is what, like 12, 14 minutes. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. very digestible, very easy, very easy on the ears. Just here's what you got. And me being a podcast listener who's used to, you know, listening to idiots ramble for an hour and a half. <laughs> 14 minutes of a well scripted story that is in you know outer space, a realm that I'm very interested in. It hooked me immediately. So I, that's, I've been on board since then. And, and it's, and it's been a a wonderful journey learning more about these characters. Uh, but that first season, like it just, it kind of struck me. And, and I don't know how familiar you are with say Kevin Smith. Oh yeah. One of Kevin Smith's earliest, like, like strengths was his ability to look at what's around him and say, I can make a movie with that. Mm -hmm. You know, he worked in this convenience store. He made a movie in that convenience store. If you are grounded and you have to stay in one place, you don't have the entire world at your fingertips and you just look at what you have. You have a Skype phone call. That's what you have. Yeah. And you can turn that into its own story. And, and, and that struck me immediately. I'm like, he's taking what he has and building this entire adventure, based on just a phone call. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right.
2: And some of that just comes out of poverty. I mean... (laughs) Yes, necessity
1: is what it is. Yeah,
2: that's it. Yeah, uh, my my favorite writer, my hero writer is uh, Jonathan Swift, and he's the one who said necessity is the mother of invention. And it's really true. I, I really wanted to do an outer space radio drama serial, but I said, I don't have the resources for that. All I could do is... You know, make it a conversation between two people. Hey, actually, that's not a bad idea. Exactly. <laughs> and and there we
1: are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the, the 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 two main characters. Like, yeah. what are what's the inspiration of having you know the scientist out in space and and the flight director back home? You know, where where do those characters come from?
2: Um, I. I've done a lot of introspection about this as time has gone by because I, I started writing them without being very conscious about where they were coming from. But you know, as, as a writer, everybody is some dimension of you. Um, and because Chris, the the doctor who doesn't know how anything on this ship works, um, he um, because He's a guy, and because I'm the one voicing him, I think most people assume quite reasonably that that's the character who's most like me. And uh, he really isn't. I really wanted to write uh, a character who is very much unlike me, because I've always been fascinated by these kind of um, not loud mouth, but but smart mouth. Guys who get into situations and say, you know, I, I can handle this. I know what I'm doing. And, and, and when there, there's people all around them saying, no, you don't. And and you can't, you can't tell them, no, they're, it's some, they're good people, you know, they can be but they're, kind, they're very bullheaded, but they're just bullheaded. And just, I've just always fascinated by that because I tend to be, uh, cautious to the point of timidity to go, I don't know. I don't think I'd do that if I were you. And so I've always been interested in guys who just say, no, let's try it. Let's see what happens. Well, you could get killed doing that. Yeah, probably not, though. You know, <laughs> I, I just I don't get that. But, uh, but so Chris is one of those guys. The person who's in the show speaking for me most of the time is Sophia. Who's, who's saying, look, there's there's rules for how we do this. Let's just how about we go by the book? OK, how about we do this, you know, just a suggestion. Let's do this the way
1: that we already know works. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and you're right. Not not personally knowing you. Yeah. I would assume that, yeah, you, you are Chris. But that's that's very much not the case, especially of the like episodes of discussing comics that I've heard you on. You're you're not that guy.
2: <laughs> I hope not because sometimes – well, I have people tell me they, they just want to go out a trig in kilometers into space and find Chris and just smack him and then go back home um, because <laughs> they just find him infuriating. A piece of fan art that I love is uh, uh, shows um, Sophia and Chris at uh, – I mean Sophia and Marcus at mission control and uh, coming out of Marcus's headset is uh, Chris's voice. And Chris is saying, I'm going to
1: make trouble just because I can. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, Even though it, it doesn't me. benefit him in any way. <laughs> no,
2: <laughs> but, um, and, and, and as, hmm. and as this has well, gone along, I've realized that this has got to be more complex than simply, I mean, because no nobody makes trouble just for the sake of making trouble. There's got to be a reason why he's doing this. And and it really is to mask all kinds of insecurities. And, you know, he, he's, he, he, he likes to be the one who always thinks he knows what he's doing because he's really afraid of not knowing what he's doing. And, right, and, right. and And to me, that was what was interesting about the situation in the first place. When I started writing, he was an astronaut. And he ends up being the only one on his ship that's supposed to have 21 people on it. And then it hit me, it would be a lot more interesting if he was, if the only person left is, you know, the ship's doctor or something yeah, who, who yeah. doesn't know how to fly this thing. That's a lot more interesting. Mm-hmm. So he's in this situation where he does not know what he's doing, but to admit that is to admit his vulnerability. And a lot of guys, uh, aren't, uh, aren't
1: comfortable with that yeah yeah especially when he's he when he's in an inherently scary environment, right. So well, he really could die at any minute, and he knows he, it. he you know, really so. could <laughs> yeah.
2: and the and the and, and and this is the way I pitch the show. The only thing keeping him alive is this woman on the ground the who is determined to to keep him alive by sheer blunt force if she has to. um
1: yeah, yeah. Hmm. well. As I said earlier, in in my mind when when Chris speaks, there is there is, a, there is a, sp- a very specific actor that comes like that comes to mind, and I hope I hope you know who this is. Uh, how familiar with the X Files are you?
2: Um. Oh, oh, the X Files, yes. I, I, I went to I went to the the X's in the Marvel universe, yeah. And I was thinking, oh, wait a minute, we're we talking about New Mutants or the X? No, no, yeah, we're talking about like David Duchovny and Jillian Anderson, yeah.
1: Yes, yeah. it's not David Duchovny. Yeah. Uh, do you know who the Lone Gunmen are? Yeah, I. Uh, it's been so long since I've seen that. I don't. Yeah. Well, there's there's, there's the short one who's really like arrogant and confident. Yeah. Uh frohickey is that's that's who comes to mind interesting so like if you google x files frohickey he'll come up and and i will that's exactly who comes to mind when when chris (laughs) speaks
2: so do you have a a mental idea of sophia or
1: yeah and and i don't don't know how i feel about it (laughs) because like in in my mind uh, alana's voice sounds just like at least when she plays this character sounds just like Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. So yeah. that is uh, naturally who pops into my brain. Yeah. Well, she'd be tickled to be to be played
2: by Scarjo, I think. Th- those I are know. those that's who would play those two characters. <laughs> it's it's so yeah. I I found, I found a good picture of this actor who plays uh, Hickey. yeah, and that he's he'd be the right age, you know? He's got that kind of uh, he's got this kind of uh intensity about his face. He's got a big forehead and, uh, these kind of great eyebrows and, uh, yeah, you know, I think that could work. Um, I was really surprised by, by several pieces of fan art that I've got that have seen him as being really young. There's a, there's a, 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 a young, um, person who I say that because, um, they've indicated they, them pronouns on Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and they draw Chris, their drawings of Chris look to me like Elijah Wood, which
1: oh, that, that's odd. That's, that's way too young in my mind.
2: Yeah. I, I don't, I don't get it, but you know, that's how they see that character. And that's, that's cool. Um, I just think that's fascinating.
1: Um, <laughs> but, but, but again, like you're writing a story that's going to look different into everybody's head.
2: That's right. And this is why you wouldn't dare make a movie of it because everybody will be disappointed. So
1: <laughs> say, that's wrong. You've also gone like, I like that. There's not a narrator. I, I really don't like narrators because
2: it's, it's, um, it's a cop out. It's, it, it, it's, it and that's, that's probably an unkind way of saying it because sometimes it's a necessary, uh, evil of, uh, uh, of, of any kind of narrative drama, but it is a shortcut that, that you can, that can become a crutch. And there's a lot of audio drama that I've listened to over the years that really depended so much on its narrator that it that it started becoming a, uh, well, it becomes a book on tape and there's nothing wrong with that.
1: <laughs> but just just don't pitch it as a yeah
2: yeah th- then it's not an audio drama it's uh, it's something else. Um, so yeah, I've got this I've got this wonderful um, cast. I'll call I'll include myself in the wonderful cast because I'm tremendously available. <laughs> to my show. I can record Chris at any time of the day or night. So so that's wonderful. So the other, the other person I can always rely on is Nadia. So I can always re- record Nadia whenever I need I, to. I was going to ask you about Nadia. So Nadia yeah. is is a th- that's a computer? Yes. Nadia is is an actual AI, uh, so I, and I and I I think Kyle actually suggested this that uh, in the closing titles, my last uh, you know the, my titles always say the role of central computer Nadia was played by herself, because uh, that really is a computer voice, and I just write up the dialogue and put it in the uh, in the feed and uh, and out comes that voice, and that's, that's cool. And our natural tendency to overinterpret. Things that we hear and to try to make sense of them emotionally will take w- when we hear her, her flat mechanical reading of these lines, they'll start to take on emotional values that I, that were not actually present. And I, I think that's just, that's just wonderful.
1: That's now that, now that you met, now that you mentioned that and me like hearing in the back of my head, Nadia's voice, mm-hmm. you're right. Like when you're writing these words, you you may not have an emotional delivery or you may not have a sarcastic delivery. Right. But when delivered like that, we like it's, it's free. It it's fair game for our brains to interpret it anyway. That's right. That's exactly right. So I hear a lot of sarcasm just, I guess, because that's what I want to hear.
2: Yeah. But isn't that funny? And, and it's, and as the show has gone on since I started using that, uh, that app to, um, to generate that voice it's changed the way i started writing the character and that's had major ramifications about these these last episodes um, as we hurtle towards the conclusion is that i'm really changing up what's going on with her and a lot of that comes from the sass that i was hearing in that voice <laughs> when, whenever i would write the word doctor i'd write she's 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 saying something comma doctor because she always calls chris doctor uh-huh and when the recording would come, when the the, the the synth voice would come back, there was always this little pause that she would say, "I'm not sure I agree with that, doctor." <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the 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 app doesn't mean anything by that, but the way we hear that is,
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd never even thought about it, but but yeah, it's it's it's, it's there's so much emotion behind all. Speech when it's being delivered, like you can say the same line six different ways That's right. to six different people, and it's going to resonate with them differently every time. Exactly. <laughs> so, wow. Uh, all right, all right. So, the 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 the, the, re, the reason you know I sat down and I was like, we've got to get this recorded. We got to get this, this recorded, is because this is what the the fourth season. Is it?
2: Is it I guess the fifth. If? Yeah. Yeah. Because we're, we're we, um, let's see When we, by the time this episode goes out, we'll have released something like episode 47 or 48, something like that. Yeah. And uh, and there's going to be 60 episodes in all. So there there is an end point. There is a conclusion coming to this. We're, we're going somewhere. <laughs> And uh, I I really did think that I was going to end it at episode 50, which seems like a nice round number. But when I sat down to write those last 10 episodes, I saw that I my outline was I would have to have rushed so much to get everything that I yet needed to do into those 10 episodes that it became 20. So, yeah, season five has got 20 episodes in it instead of 10. So uh,
1: was there a conscious reason you didn't just split it up into two seasons? Well, I I think it, it, this may be silly, but I I had
2: I had promised last year that next year was going to be the end of the season. It was going to be the end of the series. That there's mm-hmm. one season left, and then I found that my <laughs> to do that the season would have to be twice as long. So I didn't want to go back on my word and say, okay, I lied. There's actually six seasons, um, <laughs> and, and a lot of the show's biggest fans have said nobody would have been mad at you if you'd said that. <laughs> I said I. Well, I know, but I. Yeah, <laughs> I try to be as honest so as the law will allow. So,
1: yeah. Well, so I, I so haven't I listened to. Five. Yeah, I, I haven't listened to any of the the newest season yet. Ah. Uh, so so no spoilers. I don't. Okay. Uh, I, I. Where do we leave off with season three?
2: Yeah. What. <sighs>
1: I guess that four. was I'm sorry. Yeah, season
2: four. Yeah. It's always confusing because it was the, if it has the number three one, in it, it's yeah, one four, to 10,
1: right? 10 yeah, to 20, 20 to right. 30, 30 to uh, 40. So yeah, season yeah.
2: four. Season four ended with, Oh, with um, um, Chris and Sophia have been hearing these sort of spectral voices. For a long time, he was the only one who could hear them, and then wonder of wonders, she heard them at the beginning, at the end of one season, and that was the big season cliffhanger. And this ended with them both hearing them, which is a breakthrough because now they are witnesses to each other's experience.
1: Yeah, yeah. And um, and 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 the phrase "you must remain connected" is meaning more and more. Right. As as the series go goes on.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And so between the two of them, they're starting to figure out what they think that means, but they're not getting any closer to where it's
1: coming from. No, no. So. Mm. Which, which in my mind, it almost doesn't matter. (laughs) Kind of like, kind of like the end of inception. You know, the big question is, oh, is he really in a dream or not? And it doesn't matter. Yeah. You decide. Yeah. You decide or don't decide. It doesn't actually matter. That's not what the story is about. But yeah. I'm not trying to write your story for you. I'm just saying, in my mind. That's it's already written, so that's yeah. where it's going. Um, and,
2: and I think that's very interesting too, because I, I tend to be very concrete in my storytelling. I, if I ask a question in 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 my writing, I really want there to be an answer coming soon. Mm-hmm. And I I'm and I know not everybody's like that in in terms of the stories that they enjoy and 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 the way they write. I I always remember being on a a panel, a writer's panel years ago, um, with, um, a, a great novelist, uh, Dennis Covington. And it was, it was me and him taking questions from the audience about writing process. And a young man in the audience asked, do you have to know the end of your story when you start writing? And Dennis and I answered at the same time. And I said, yes. And Dennis said, no. <laughs> so we said, well,
1: there's your answer. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I guess there's, there's not a right way and a wrong way.
2: There, there really isn't. But yeah, just personally, I really have to know. I re, I one of the first things that I sat down and wrote longhand in a, in a in a notebook was how relativity ends. So That's Cool.
1: So 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 the rest is just gluing the beginning to the end.
2: Exactly. Yeah. We're just we're just marking time until we <laughs> until we get there. But of course, you know what happens is that the The big shape of how of what actually is happening at the end and and what you know how everything comes together at the end has remained the same. But a lot of the details along the way have shifted and blurred and expanded. and you know, uh, so some of the uh, the the trip has become very different as we've gone along. So that's uh,
1: that's exciting. okay. Well without giving anything away, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, is the end still the end or has yeah. the end changed?
2: No, the, like I say, the, the, the big picture of it is exactly what I thought of in the first place. Um, the, the, the explanation, the, the explanation of what these voices are that they're hearing, uh, why they're hearing them, what it means in the big picture, what's going to happen at the end of the, the journey. Uh, that's all the same, but along the way, well, uh, like, like we were just talking about, I I, 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 was started using, uh, this, uh, I, I started hearing Nadia as a character in a way that I hadn't heard her before. So I started, you know, writing the scripts differently and that suggested a whole av- unexplored avenue about that character. Um, and you know, so that, that took that thing off in a completely different direction. And I, I, uh, Um, Kyle and Clarence, our friends, Kyle and Clarence have, have read all 60 of the scripts. So they, they know how all this ends and are sworn to secrecy. But, uh, (laughs) but I, I astonished them by telling them, because there's something really big and tragic that happens in uh, episode 60. And I told them that, uh, the day that I had scheduled in my in my writing schedule to, to to write that episode, when I woke up that morning, I had a devious thought about something I could do to actually make it more cruel than it already was. And I thought, <sighs> you know what, I'm gonna do it. <laughs> 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 so, so I decided on the spur of the moment to to twist the knife. And um, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's it's part of what we do as writers of drama, and it seems weird, of course, but it really is. Our job, and as consumers of the drama, you know, we we can't pretend like we don't enjoy it. That we want uh, to really get involved with these characters, and then sometimes uh, watch awful things happen to them.
1: Mm,
2: yeah, uh, yeah. Not be, not because we're sadists, but because we know that this is what happens to real people in the real world, and it it uh, I think it, it adds to our experience of um, narrative fiction as sort of a, a trial run or a practice. For, for real life
1: yeah yeah
2: so yeah. I, I when I, when we were writing body love I I, I wrote it with um, um, script writing students at uh, UAB and uh, the, you know these are you know 17 18 year old writers and sometimes they they would they would write scenes in which one of our characters would get into some kind of a difficulty and then they would immediately get out of it again. And I would say, no, let's like, it's a sitcom. (laughs) Exactly. And I would say, no, look, this is a drama and let's do six or eight episodes where this person gets into this situation and it gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse. And then we'll figure out a way to get, to get them out of it. And they'd say, but that's cruel. And I would say, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, but that's what this game is. (laughs) You know, this is a drama. We, we, if, if every problem is immediately resolved, <laughs> that ain't drama.
1: No, no. So th- th- there's there's something about a, a production such as this that it's completely creator driven, completely written by one person. It is it's 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 like you're the brainchild of this entire story. Yeah. You know, you, you don't have six people coming in and having a table read. And then after the table read, you're like, well, maybe we should change these and change this mm-hmm. and change this. And 14 mm-hmm. producers telling you what to do. That's right. This is your story. This is yes. a creator's story delivered directly to the consumers of that story. And there's a power to that, that a larger production doesn't have the, the, the more, The more cooks you have in the kitchen, the more diluted the story is going to feel or even the the it's going to be molded just enough to reach the largest audience possible. Mm -hmm. While there's an art to making it wildly available and wildly appealing, it's it's much more pure and much more interesting in, in, in my mind to to just have it the direct feed, you know, from the creator's brain directly into your ears Good, bad, weird
0: sideways.
1: (laughs) That's how I want it. Yeah. The original direction of Star Wars was George Lucas. Yeah. You know, he, he, he had an idea. He had people working with him, but ultimately it was his idea. Mm -hmm. It's gotten to a point now to where there is, there's not that person. Right. And the three new movies just, they feel like a movie by committee. You know, we, we have to cover this base. We have to cover this base. We need a five minute scene with Yoda. We need a 10 minute scene where Han Solo dies, you know, like it's very checkboxy. and you don't get that with Rel- relativity. There is not a checkbox.
2: Right. Because there's no money. And, <laughs> and I mean, it's really true. And it's, yeah. and, and all of my friends who, I'm really grateful that 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 I've gotten to be uh, good friends with so many of the of my fellow creators of uh, science fiction uh, 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 podcast drama like this, Um, that that we you know, we can get together online and talk about these things that we're all so grateful for this, that on the one hand, we'd like to have, you know, somebody give us a million dollars to do our show. On the other hand. Then they own it, wouldn't they? And mm-hmm. they'd be dictating content. Yep. I mean, that's that's immediately what happens. And even if they have the best intentions and it's somebody who, you know, is really on board with with our concept of the show, they're still going to be telling us what to do. And I, I, we all worry that that's that that's what's going to happen next. That what you're enjoying right now, Sergio, is uh, <laughs> it may be a brief window. <laughs> And, and I hope I'm wrong about this, but it is wonderful to be able to hear the um, undiluted visions of all of these different artists and creators. These fantastically talented, completely brilliant people. So often there's some there's some shows that I just listen to and go, "Holy smoke! I just can't, can't believe what I just heard." And and I know th- I know the creators of these shows, and it's it's just one person, and they're their friends and their and audacity, <laughs> you know? And, audacity, <laughs> you know? Um, and I mean, yep. <laughs> uh, I mean audacity, the software, and also <laughs> just, you know, just the sheer uh, moxie to say, I'm i I'm going to make a, a podcast. Um, and that's all it is. And I, and there are now so many of these and they've got so many ears coming their way that I feel like sooner or later, Netflix is going to open its podcast channel, just for example, Mm -hmm. just to pick Netflix out of the air. But, you know, they're in a position to do it. They could have a channel on their streaming service that is nothing but podcasts, and they could saturate the media with advertisements for their podcasts, and the rest of us would be squashed like bugs. That's a dark future. Well, (laughs) I try to be realistic about this. If you listen to relativity, you know that I, yeah. I, I've got the world being basically screwed 40 years from now, and I'm afraid that's not <laughs>
1: – <laughs> I'm sorry, but I <laughs> – well, as, when... as you said, you don't have drama without sadness.
0: Well,
2: that's right. But I mean yeah. when, when the U.S. pulled out of the Paris you know, climate talks, yeah, that – I'm sorry, but that was, that could have been it. That <laughs>
1: that's the straw.
2: That's yeah. The, it, it may be too late to turn back now. And uh,
1: so anyway, it's so yeah. to get, get working on a rel- relativity compensator, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> which, which I, which I, <laughs> I, I meant to say yeah. uh, the way you explained that narratively. Mm. Mwah, perfect. <laughs> Oh,
2: excellent. I love that. Yeah, I, I've tried to be careful about the science and the show. There's so much that I have carefully researched and really uh, thought about. And, you know, I've read, you know, the experts who who think and talk about, you know, deep space travel and that kind of stuff. And uh, and to be very correct about this stuff and about the global climate change things that are happening in, in the story, too. You know, I, I'm, I'm not making stuff up. That's, you know, this is what climatologists are, are predicting for um, our very near future. And, um, so, but you know, but there is one thing that is just total BS and that's the relativity compensator, which actually doesn't make any sense at all. But I, I did try to come up with
1: <laughs> like, it doesn't make sense, but the way it's explained in the fiction makes absolute sense.
2: That's all that matters.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's all that matters. So, no, like, because I was pitching to Star Trek The Next Generation with the, 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 that. What that meant was that I got the writer's guide and um, and uh, what a treasure that I've uh, still got that. <laughs> and there and the technical manual. It was the only show out there that came with a writer's guide and a technical manual. Oh, and they were wow. about the same size. And the writer's guide says basically on page one, do not get caught up in the science of this show. We, we do. We love science. We love to teach science through this show, but don't feel like you have to understand the science to, to tell your story. Tell a human story. Tell an engaging story about people, you know, overcoming obstacles and, and, you know, all the things that good drama is. And if you need some science, make some up. That's what we do. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
2: In one of the yeah. very first episodes of Next Generation, there somebody mentions briefly the element selenium. And the writer's guide points out that – um, you know, people will hear that said on the show and they won't think another thing about it, but you see it in the script and your eye goes right to it and you can see that selignium is the word meaningless spelled backwards. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's how much it
2: doesn't matter.
1: <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Oh, that is wonderful. It's way better than something like unobtainium. Unobtainium. Yeah. Don't call it that. <laughs> okay <So who? laughs> Oh, well, Lee, this is, this is, this has been wonderful.
2: I could talk with you about this stuff for hours, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: where can we find relativity?
2: Uh, you can always find us on our website, which is relativitypodcast.com. And, uh, I was talking about some of the other, um, similar minded creators that I've, uh, gotten to be friends with, six of us have banded together to create what we call Wi-Fi Sci-Fi, and so we have a website for that also, and that is Wi-Fi dot org, and we are g- actually going to get together all six of our shows and do a live performance in Seattle, Washington, April 25th, 2020, uh-huh. and, uh, and you know, m- many of your listeners will not be able to go to Seattle.
1: That is a April very 20, long way from
2: long uh, city. <laughs> Exactly. Start walking now. But, um, but there will be, uh, a cast recording. And so, uh, I, 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 encourage people to go ahead and check out that website and, and get, you know, if you, if you feel so inclined, get onto our Indiegogo where you can get, uh, exclusive bonus content of relativity and, uh, the other five shows. Um, and, um, there's great stuff. It's all just great stuff. So, there you go but yeah for for for, for this show relativitypodcast.com
1: and as a, as a listener I, I i strongly suggest my listeners listen to relativity thank you for listening to this very special episode of reality breached uh tune in next time i don't even know what it's going to be about uh, yeah. I don't plan that far in advance uh, but tune but in but anyway tune in anyway uh for lee shackleford i'm sergio lugo Get the ransom, shoot the hostage.
2: Relativity, 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 Relativity.
0: Relativity. Climb aboard the perilous journey of one man attempting to reach a distant world and the woman on earth who battles endlessly to keep him alive.
2: Mission Control, was that sound what I think it was?
1: We're not sure yet, but we know it
0: can't be good. Join the thousands of science fiction adventure fans who have discovered Relativity at relativitypodcast.com. Relativity.
1: Thank you for listening to Reality Breached. Don't forget to check out our other podcasts, the Black Pocket Podcast, and the Reality Breached local spotlight. All available on realitybreached.com.
0: Discussing network.